In today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we discuss how crying regulates the body. We talk about the moment that Rick Astley breaks free. And we talk about the inspiration for Frank's high school haircut. We're talking about Cry for Help by Rick Astley on Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures. One of my bigger regrets in life, and this is just showing how privileged my life is, is not keeping the tapes that I had as a youth, like mixtapes that I made or tapes that I bought. And one of the tapes that I remember so distinctly opening and closing and reading the liner notes was Free by Rick Astley, which came out in 1991. And I bought the tape based on the strength of the song we're covering today, Cry for Help. I have all my tapes still. Do you? I have everything. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I have a I have a ton of my old CDs. But the tapes, like Free by Rick Astley, It's Real by James Ingram, some of my old Michael Bolton tapes, I don't have them anymore. And I oh man, I wish that I did, just for the nostalgic sort of presence of them. Sometimes it is good to get rid of things. The good news is you have free with you now because of the digital era, CDs, and maybe one day we'll even get you a record of it. Well, that would be fantastic. Why must we hide emotions? Why must we never break down and cry? All that I need is to cry. Oh, yeah. Somebody please hear me cry. Oh, yeah. All I can do is This is our second time featuring Rick Astley on our podcast. The original podcast we did on him was titled Rick Roll With It Baby. And we talked about the whole Rick Rolling phenomenon and we covered Together Forever, uh, Never Gonna Give You Up and Strong Strong Man. Yeah. Those three songs came from his first album in 87, Whenever You Need Somebody. And now we are carrying forward because 1988 sees the release of Hold Me In Your Arms, the yes. second Rick Astley album that was with Stock, Aiken, Waterman guys. Yeah. However, on that album, Rick Astley wrote six of the 12 songs. Well, yes. And one of them, well, actually more than one, two of the four singles, I think there's four singles, two of them were his compositions. And She Wants to Dance With Me was totally written by Rick Astley. And that was a the last kind of big hit for him. And that was the opening single of that. Yeah. And then he parts ways with Stock, Aiken, Waterman. Because when he was with them, he was more of a pop star. They had the cheesy beats, the fun songs and everything. And Never Gonna Give You Up was a smash it. He was 21 when it came out. So he was all over the place. And he was so, so, so popular. And by the end of the second album, he's like, I kind of don't want to be a corporate puppet. I don't want to be a pop star. I want to go off and do my own thing. That's when he left SAW and branched off on his own thing and recorded Free. And that title Free means a lot of things, but primarily he's free from the sort of Stock Aiken Waterman machine. He's also free to do what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. 
And his hair is free. Oh my goodness. That was a bit of an inspiration for me. Yeah. Rick Astley's hair in 91, especially with the Cry for Help video. Now, Bill, you have a a musical doppelganger. I do. Yeah. Josh Groban. Josh Groban. Yeah. My uh, musical doppelganger was early 90s Rick Astley when I was mid-90s. We're going to post on Instagram and whatever other social things I can find a picture of Rick Astley from 1991 and a picture of Frank Pearson from that era. I think it was from 1995. Well, we're always a couple of years behind things. Yeah, exactly. It, it takes a while for things to get to Canada. Did you know that my nickname at that period of time was Little Ricky Astley? <laughs> no. <laughs> that sounds like you were Lucille Ball's son. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, but I think it would be pretty cool if it was. That's the worst nickname ever. I know. <laughs> okay. Well, since we're kind of on this topic, maybe it's tangential, but I think it fits perfectly. When was the last time you cried, Frank? It was probably on this podcast. I cry all the time. You do. I had a couple of things written down trying to think of my own openers for this. But one of the questions I had was, who's more likely to hide their emotions, Frank or Bill? Bill. Yeah, no question. I have a big arrow pointed at my name there. (laughs) So I feel crying comes naturally for you. So this song, despite being kind of a... It's because I'm a giant baby. Yeah. And because you're in touch with your emotions and you're healthy. Yeah, it's kind of a a sliding scale of healthy for me, I guess, right? Yeah. So I talked to our friend Alicia today. Okay. Who is a therapist. Yep. And she said that crying actually regulates our bodies. Oh, does it? Okay. So crying is a healthy thing. Okay. So it is something that I should probably do more of. Maybe I am really healthy. Yeah. I don't cry often, but I did cry during uh, a couple movies I saw. Okay. You want to hear those movies? Yeah. Feel the dreams. You take a robot not to cry at that movie. Uh, that movie Wonder. You ever see the movie Wonder? The uh, I have Julie it. Roberts as the mom and her her kids got a facial deformity. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I cried throughout the whole thing. Okay. I cried during Creed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I cried during Avatar too. It was that bad, eh? No, it was good. Oh, yeah. Well, I haven't I, seen Avatar. And I didn't too. even want to like it, but it was. Uh, it hit me hard. So oh, wow. I feel uh, I've been regulated through watching movies. Yeah. Now, if only I could regulate myself through actually living a life. I'm not ready to get there yet. <laughs> so, Frank, I have a question for you. Another one. Yeah. Okay. Why do we hide emotions? I think we've been conditioned to do that. This is turning into a therapy episode, isn't it? It is. Yeah, okay. I think we've been told that men aren't supposed to do that. Like in that 10cc episode that we did, big boys don't cry. Yeah. And also, I guess The Cure also said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, The Cure's really caused a lot of damage to people. That's a little bit hypocritical, I think. Yeah, unless they were being... Facetious. Ironic? Ironic? Is facetious something? It is something. Okay, good. Yeah, okay. But I think it's fear. Yeah. I think that's primarily why we hide our emotions. I think so too. Because we want to seem like a strong, strong man. I was waiting for that. Yeah. It's good to see Rick Astley move away from strong, strong man and try to ask for a cry for help. But in strong, strong man, he was saying it would take a strong man to let you go. He was being selfish by holding on to her and and being a weak man. Yeah. Yeah. And crying a lot. Yeah. So back to the album Free, Rick Astley comes into this with, I think, a lot of money. I think I think the uh, record company gave him some serious cheddar, and he was able to bring in some heavy hitters, and some people actually just offered their services. 
he's coming off the success of his first two albums and he's got some street cred behind him. So yeah, why not throw some talent at this? So the opening song in the name of love is written by Michael McDonald, who sings on this song as well. Oh, he does. Okay. I didn't know he sang. I listened to it. Yeah. 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 Oh, great. I can't recall the other song, but Elton John plays piano on it for him, which is fantastic and elton john had actually offered his sort of services they were out together and he said hey if you need me to play on an album let me know yeah i didn't know that oh that's awesome so i mean rick astley's known for being in his words a good boy okay because he didn't get into drugs Mm -hmm. he he liked to drink but even in his drinking it wasn't like in excess excess. or anything like that no different band Is this what it's like talking to me? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That's exhausting. In interviews, Rick Astley also said that he wanted to hear instruments, like people actually playing them and not just program things. And he specifically mentioned drums. Yeah. Well, he was a drummer to start off with. So the drummer on Cry for Help is actually Vinny, I'm going to try to pronounce this, Kaleuta? Kaleutua. Kalak. Kaleuta. Vinny Kaleuta. We're going to call him Vinny C. Yeah, Vinny C. Anyways, he's a Grammy-winning session musician. So Rick Astley has like serious heavy players on this, and he used them to their full force in this song, particularly, mm-hmm. because he also brings in the ultimate gospel choir for hire, which is the Andre Crouch Gospel Choir. That's true, yeah. Do you remember the first time you heard this song? I can't remember exactly the first time I heard it, but it was on one of the top 40 countdowns. I just remember because they talked about Rick Astley and it came out in 91. So we were 14 at the time. Yeah. So I still remember Never Gonna Give You Up. I still remember Together Forever. So there's that in the back of my head. And I'm thinking, oh, Rick Astley, he writes a fun pop song. And then this song comes out. This is when I started listening to a ton of ballads. So late 80s, early 90s ballads constantly because again i thought that's what grown-up people did and i wasn't the most mature person but i figured if i listened to ballads i'd become more mature i think it stunted my view on relationships and love a little bit i'm not 100 percent certain but i think that it did for me i struggled a bit with it so rick hasley was my favorite singer so in yeah. grade five i remember buying whenever you need somebody mm-hmm. and it was like the best yeah and then the next album comes out with She Wants to Dance Me. I thought it was pretty good, but I had a sense that it wasn't as good as the other one. I wanted it to have Together Forever and Never Gonna Give You Up. Yeah, you didn't want an evolution. You just wanted another album just like the previous one. Exactly. And then this is grade eight, 1991 in winter when this comes out. Yes. And I wasn't totally ready for it, but I was already kind of past things. It's grade seven and eight, so the world is already kind of murky and it's tough. And I know when the song came out, I was like, oh man, what's happened? But I do know that I could recognize it was a good song. Yeah. And then that was it. After Cry for Help, I'd never heard another Rick Astley song. I know he released other songs. Yeah. And he he did release another album after After this. this And then stopped. Yeah. But this was like the end of the Rick Astley run for me. 
and mm-hmm. as a listener. But it's kind of nice coming back to it, seeing it, and appreciating what it did for him as a artist. Yes. And he sa- has said in interviews that he made so much money in those couple of years yeah. that he was just able to stop because it wasn't fun anymore and he didn't yeah. want to be a part of this whole machine. Exactly. And, and he, he did backup things like he sang in the Lion King movie as yeah. a backup singer. That's right. He is a longtime partner, w- worked in movies. Yeah. And then they, they got married a couple of years ago, actually, but they've been together. 2003. They yeah, met right. in 87. Oh, a couple of years ago. And they married in 2003. Right. Okay. Well, that wasn't a couple of years ago, was it? Yeah. Okay. No. So the podcast I listened to was from 2005. <laughs> <laughs> so he did really well, and he's done so well that he can just do what he wants. Yeah. And put it in, in context, when Cry for Help comes out or the album Free comes out, he's 25 years old. Mm-hmm. He's still a kid. Yeah. He can make that decision just like, I'm basically retired. If I could retire at 25, oh man, that would have been amazing. Imagine though, if we were 25 or 26 and retired, I think it could have also been a total disaster. Oh yeah. You peppered me with a number of questions beforehand. And with Rick Astley being your favorite singer from when you're in grade five and, and so on, did you know anyone else who had this album? No, you're the only person I have ever met who's had this album ever. And I'm talking now, we are, uh, I see, we met in grade 11. Yeah. So I'm about 16 then. So now we are 30 years removed from that. And I still don't know anybody who has that album or ever had the album. I used to buy a lot of stuff, but this is not a regretful buy for me. I love this album. I do remember distinctly listening to this when I was doing menial tasks around the yard, like when I was cutting the grass or shoveling the driveway, had my Walkman on, put this on, and I would just rewind and repeat probably the first two songs because like you can never get it quite exactly right at the beginning of Cry for Help. Right. But it's just such a beautiful song. The album is pretty good. It is. I listened to it a few times this week, yeah. and I was surprised at how much more upbeat it was than I remember it being. Yeah. And so it is a good album, but this is the standout track. Yes. And this is the most sort of somber song that's on it. Yeah. But this is, you know, the big one. Like we said, you want to hit, you write a ballad. That's right. So this song is actually written with Rob Fisher, who is in Climby Fisher. Yes. And uh, one of the songs they did was, let me just bring it up. I was listening to it. I honestly don't know that band at all. Love Changes Everything. When I heard it, I remember it vaguely, but I have a feeling it was bigger over... um, In the UK? The UK, Okay. But Rob Fisher was also in Naked Eyes, who did Always Something There to Remind Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Promises, Promises. Yeah, yeah. Great song. Oh, cool. So Rob Fisher actually passed away, I think, in the late 90s. Yes. Yeah. And so... Rick Astley talked about him actually possibly going through issues while they were writing this mm-hmm. and, and actually linked up with the um, the lyrics of this song. But yeah. they wrote this together. And it is impressive when we talk about being in our mid-20s. We talked about ourselves being in our mid-20s. But he's already writing pretty poignant things mm-hmm. at this age. I mean, I'm still not sure I can say something no, like exactly, this. Exactly, right? Yeah. So why don't we work our way through these lyrics? Yeah. So it takes its time to begin, right? We get a little bit of that keys coming in. Yeah, it's that nice sort of soft entrance. The, it's just the keys, and then there's the drums. Yeah. Like the... Yeah. 
and you get a sense that it's like, oh, Rick Astley actually has a band, and he's watching. Yeah. And they're playing, and he's nodding his head. I guess the video's in my head, but also every time I've seen him sing the song. And then it goes to verse one. She's taken my time, convinced me she's fine, but when she leaves, I'm not so sure. It's always the same. She's playing her game. And when she goes, I feel to blame. She's taken my time, convinced me she's fine. But when she leaves, I'm not so sure. It's always the same. She's playing her game. And when she goes, I feel to blame. Frank, what's he feel to blame about? I think he feels to blame that he knows that something's not right with her. Yeah. But and he wants to fix it. This is a guy He thing. wants to help, right? Right. But he doesn't because like, oh, she's fine. She doesn't need help. But then she leaves. And then it's like, ah, maybe I should have done more. Right. Okay. There's a bit of regret there. Right. And so have you ever been in a friendship or relationship where someone says to you, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. I think all of them. <laughs> Did they mean it in any of those circumstances? Oh, never. Never. (laughs) So I think that's the convince me she's fine. I'm wondering, Rick, did she say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine? Or is it, I'm fine? Yeah. If I've learned anything from 80s comedians, when someone says they're fine, they are not fine. Am I right, guys? Right? Right? It is interesting, these lyrics, where he talks about her playing her game. And it's kind of that sort of odd way of talking about someone's way of just dealing in life. Yeah. And I wonder, and I don't want to come off as a a jerk here, but I'm wondering if the character is, she's playing her game. So she's done this before, obviously. She's doing it just because she gets that little bit of attention, but not enough attention that someone intervenes. Well, you Think it's a platonic relationship? It's ambiguous enough that it could be platonic. Right. And I'm using words that I do not understand. Well, I think it's platonic in the sense that maybe she's not interested in him, but it's clear that he's interested in her because he's a little too interested in making sure she's fine. Yes. So I feel like that could be the case where this could be a close friend, but not really, the two of them aren't really understanding what's going on. Yeah, yeah. They're friends, but he wants to be more than just friends. And then he asks the question in the pre-chorus, why won't she say she needs me? I know she's not as strong as she seems. Why won't she say she needs me? I know she's not as strong as she seems. Kind of a neat line there. Like, he wants to be needed. And... She seems strong, but she's not. And yeah, I, I guess, and this goes back to it not being platonic, because I don't think it is, but... Well, you can think wrong, too. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I could read better as well. <laughs> Sorry, that sounded meaner than I wanted it to be. There you go again, making fun of my illiteracy. <laughs> um, he understands relationships as things where you lean against each other, mm-hmm. where you're kind of like the walking wounded, maybe, and that the whole thing in a relationship is you, you're, you're together. And you're helping to prop each other up. That's right. Okay. And uh, then it goes, of course, to chorus. Why don't I see her cry for help? Why don't I feel her cry for help? Why don't I hear her cry for help? 
see, feel, hear. Yeah, and I, I like that it's it changes each each line, right? Because there's so many ways that he can experience her cry for help. Mm-hmm. He can actually physically see it. He can feel it. He can hear it. It's kind of all encompassing. And now we head into verse two, which is the last of the verses. And I did want to bring up some problems I had with it. I know we've talked in the past about being too much of a fanboy podcast. We're going to get serious here. I wandered around the streets of this town, trying to find sense in it all. The rain on my face, it covers the trace of all the tears I've had to waste. Now, here's my issue. Okay. Is this an issue that you just discovered after talking to our friend Alicia earlier today? Possibly. Possibly. Okay. Uh, Or totally. Totally. Of all the tears I've had to waste, he's saying that his tears are a waste. And I've written here, why is it a waste? He's crying. That's not the problem. The whole song is about wanting her to cry. And now he's saying he's wasting his tears. I'm wondering, and this is just me talking. Yeah. Are you, are you wandering around the streets of the town? Yes. Okay. So this verse sounds less platonic. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if it's the tears that he's wasting are he's crying over a girl that he's never going to get. Oh, wow. And that's the idea that love is wasted unless it's reciprocated. But listen, Rick, or if I spoke to young Frank, little Ricky. <laughs> little Ricky Astley. Okay. Love's never wasted. It hurts a lot, but it's not wasted. And he's crying for help. It's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's crying to us for help. Yes. Come on, Rick. But then he goes into that little pre-chorus. Right. Why must we hide emotions? Why must we never break down and cry? Why must we hide emotions? Why must we never break down and cry? All that I need is to Interesting there, because he changes it from the she to the personal, right? Well, yeah, because this verse is all about him. Right, so he also has this. Yeah. Ah, yeah. And so he can't cry in front of her either. He needs to cry in the middle of the street so everyone else has to watch him in the no, rain. No, but he's crying in the rain. Right. Because it's England. I Yeah, and it rains a lot yeah. there. Also, I like to think that he's out in the rain with every other movie converging. So Cuba Gooding Jr.'s hands are up in the rain. Like in radio? In radio. Oh. And then over on the side is uh, Tim Robbins coming out of a sewer pipe, holding his hands <laughs> up in the rain. He's crying. And then there's Hugh Grant in the worst ever scene in a movie right. yeah. where Andy McDowell says, is it crying? Because I can't tell. Is it raining? I can't tell. You said crying. <laughs> so, that's a Freudian slip. Yeah. We're going to have to call Alicia on this one. Yeah, I think so. I'm regulating. <laughs> I always really liked that lyric. 
Mm-hmm. Why must we hide emotions? Why must we never break down and cry? So as someone who cries on the regular, I have friends that joke with me that I cried during the second Lord of the Rings when one of the elves got killed at the Battle of Helm's Deep. Yeah, I remember. That was yeah. sad. I and, couldn't believe they'd actually kill a character. Yeah. I just thought they'd just kill all these other ones we didn't care about. Yeah. And then they also say that I cried at the beginning of the Star Trek reboot when uh, Captain Kirk's father dies. In, yeah, he just had a baby. Yeah, right at the, right at the beginning of the movie. So well, you're not a monster. Of course you're going to cry. Well, yeah, exactly. That. So I, I, I've been known to be a little bit emotional, but I really, really do like those lines why must we never do this? It's like, no, it's okay to do this. And he's asking the question, why can't we? There's something really cathartic about just sort of letting letting it out, whether you're crying or not, or you're just kind of barfing your emotions on things. And that is probably the worst visual or the worst term I could use for, for that. But I had an experience probably close to this time last year And I was going through something just for me, it was absolutely horrendous. And I was out on a run and I was running with a friend and I didn't know her super well at the time, but then we're running and we were talking and I just like, I, you know, I got stuff going on. I was like, I really don't want to talk about it. And then I said, okay, are you ready? Like, here it comes. And there was just such a huge relief about just sort of shotgun blasting my emotions and how I was feeling and what I was going through to a friend who was willing to listen and how important that was to me at that time. And it just helped me sort of let everything go for a moment. Right. It helped me deal with things, just knowing that someone is also there to help support you. I remember crying when I tried to give my farewell speech to collegiate, my first school. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And I was like, I felt still feel rotten about it because it didn't get out what I wanted to say because I couldn't stop crying. And, uh, I vowed to never cry again when I left to school. Is that why you're never leaving Sir Winston? That's probably true. And as, as I'm saying it, it's starting to sound less healthy as I thought <laughs> I thought it was being. But here's what Rick has to say about this. Rick helps us bridge as well. In the bridge. In the bridge. He says, no need to feel ashamed. Release the pain. Cry for help. And this is when the gospel choir comes in. That's right. And this is where we hit the high point of all the emotions. Yeah. And this is the release of the song, right? Yes. The Andre Crouch Choir is so powerful. Oh, it is so good. And I remember like listening to the song and when I heard it on the radio before I bought the album. And this was one of those albums I didn't really mull over. I'm kind of pragmatic when I would buy albums. Just like if I liked a song, just like, okay, do I get this just because it has one good song on it? And I'd, you know, think it over. But I remember once the song came out within probably the first couple of weeks, I was like, nope, buying the tape. Yeah. Had money, get the tape. But I remember listening to it and just, yeah, this is the 
part where everything just sort of like it all comes out because you can feel it in that choir and the way that they're singing and the power and the beauty of it. Oh, my goodness. That's so good. And then it goes back to like a pre-chorus again Mm -hmm. and a key change, I think. Yes. And in the pre-chorus, he says, why must we hide emotions? Why can't we ever break down and cry? You know what I like? The drums break down. Yes, exactly. (laughs) At that that point. (laughs) So it's not really pathetic fallacy or maybe it's musical fallacy. Although I don't think that's a fallacy at all. It's just incredible. Yeah. And so we head into the sort of the the ending of the song. And if you're listening to the radio single, it's just going to kind of go on and slowly fade out. Yeah. But if you have the version from the album, which you had, mm-hmm. and most of us did not unless we watched the music video, yeah. which was the full album version, mm-hmm. it ends with Rick Astley and the choir going back. Yes. And that, in a sense, I, th- I think that might be my favorite part of the song. Right at in the sort of the outro portion. Yeah, the it, last minute. And it's a long outro. Oh, my goodness. And he just goes for it. And interestingly, Rick Astley never sang in a gospel choir. He mm-hmm. sang in church choirs, sang in school choirs, but never did he get to do this. But he yeah. did, he was raised on R&B Mm-hmm. Right. And so he and gospel, especially the American stuff. Yeah. And so that when they ask him about why he sounds so American when he sings, he's like, well, this is the the stuff I was raised in. Well, and he has that great, rich baritone voice. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And yeah, he goes for it. And I have a couple of lines noted here during the outro. I will be there when you cry for help. But it's like, I will be there when yeah. you cry. And he just punctuates. But then also the put your trust in me and just draws it out. It's so good. It is. And it makes the song just so powerful. And it has endured. I mean, we're listening to it now 30 years later plus. And holy cow, it's so good. It still plays. So he reflected on this in an interview with Song Facts, and he said that he thinks people talk more now about their emotions than they used to. Yes. Which I think is I will agree. True. Yeah. I mean, if you go back every generation, I feel they're more clammed up than the one before. So you have your like World War II vets coming back and just being yep. totally silent. Yeah. And then it's taken so many generations to finally get to the emoting yep. that goes on now. Well, going to therapy isn't yeah. something to be ashamed of anymore. That's right. But in the 90s, I didn't feel like anyone went to it. But yeah. now I know more people who go than, than don't. Yeah. So what he had to say about it is it's that thing you go through life and you can be around someone and you know that there's something wrong. You know there's something going on, but they don't want to say anything. They don't want to do it. Then he also talked about Rob Fisher. He thought something might have been going on with him, but he... He didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And then he talked about his parents losing a son before he was yes, born. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and said that it's impossible to talk about it, but they also never spoke about it. So he imagines it's impossible, but mm-hmm. how difficult it would be to be silent about it. Mm-hmm. And then he said, it's that moment when you can cry for help and you can actually say to someone, I'm dying here, I'm bleeding. 
We all need that moment where we sort of say, right, I've just got to talk to someone. Yeah. And that's what it's about. Yeah. And that's fantastic. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, for a young guy, so healthy. And he's healthy in all these sorts of ways. Not only is he able to cry for help, mm-hmm. he's also able to quit in the right way where he just says, I'm done with the music industry. Yeah. So he has his big hit. He has first eight singles. All are in the top, the top 10, 10 in the UK. Yeah. Which was a record at the time. Yeah. I don't know if it still is a record, but it was at the time. Yeah. Anyways. And then he just said, no, that's enough. And he says, I have enough money. And it was interesting on this interview I uh, listened to where he said, you know, if you're super rich, then it's never enough money. Mm -hmm. But if you're just sort of rich, (laughs) (laughs) he just has a couple million pounds. Then he's able to just say, yeah, that's enough for me. And he can live comfortably Mm -hmm. and then do what he wants. And he had a real neat sort of view on things. Yeah. I mean, now, of course, he's back and he's singing mm-hmm. and his stuff is good. Yes. Like, oh, very good. Yeah. But he's coming back doing his own thing. It's so great. So there's the whole Rick Roll phenomenon. Yeah. Which happened. And this is even 10 years removed from that. So we're late 2010s, early 2020s, and he's recording again and he's performing again but it's not off the popularity of the rick rolling right if anything the rick rolling kept him in the conversation and helped him be kind of cool again because yes. people get annoyed but then people start to recognize what he had yes and then he releases an album called 50 for his 50th birthday yeah so they or joked about him 50 he's kind of like adele yeah. <laughs> name your albums after how old you are but he's still got new stuff. He's got a new album coming out this fall. Yeah. That's and right. the first single's really it's good. It's really good, yeah. So I think it's about something to do with Mississippi and the river rising, but I it can't sounds remember exactly, great. but I, I remember liking what yeah. I heard. He just played at Glastonbury. Yeah. And he plays at, I think, 12 o'clock. And on the Saturday, he's one of the opening performers. It's called like the Legends time slot. Right. And he went in kind of self-deprecating a bit. And he said, if we draw the least amount of people for the Saturday 12 o'clock show, it's like, I'm still going to be okay with that. But from what I could see, he did not. It was packed. People were all in on it. Then he shows up six hours later in the pyramid tent, I believe. Pyramid stage is where he played that main set on. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. So there's another stage he went to mm-hmm. with the Blossoms. Yeah. And he did an hour of Smith's covers. Yeah. And that place was rocking. And yeah, yeah. he killed it. And I read an article from BBC and the sort of byline is, forget Glastonbury. Today, Worthy Farm became Rick Astonbury. So we kept trying to come up with a clever sort of uh, phrase. I want to say we're in the Rick Asleance. Yeah. I think that works. I refer to it as the Rick Renaissance. I like that too. Either way, I'm here for it. I'm loving it. And yeah. he's going to number one. His, his albums are actually going to number yeah. one. So, hey, this is a great success story. And we're all about this at Guilt Free Pleasures. I don't want to say that our previous episode helped propel him to the stardom he's at right now. It but didn't hurt, though. It certainly didn't hurt. No. So the music video. And this was when I got my first taste of what my future look was going to be. It is all about the new Rick Astley hair. Yeah. 
because he has that flow and he has confidence and he's his own man. And it's a pretty basic music video. Yeah. Right? So he is singing. He's looking off in the distance, not looking at the camera. So it's just him looking off to somewhere and everyone else is playing around him. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the key moment comes when the choir starts walking. Yeah. And they walk in uh, just before that bridge comes in. Yeah. When, obviously, when they start singing. And it's on a stage. There's no audience or anything like that. Rick Astley is the feature of the video until the choir comes in. Now, I'm wondering if that's actually the and Andre Crouch Choir are just some really good looking people who (laughs) are the choir that we want to see in our head. I wonder. Yeah, we should probably look that up. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out because we know that we've done Millie Vanilli before as an episode. And uh, these people have the look, but I wonder if there's a Millie Vanilli actual version of this choir yeah. singing somewhere. In my mind, I believe that it's the actual Andre Crouch okay. gospel choir. Regardless, it's just a neat video from what he's done in the past that this is just a performance. But the idea is it's a real performance. Yeah. And there's a maturity about it. And yeah. there's a maturity about him. That's right. At this point. Look at that hair. Oh, I know, right? Oh, 1996, Frank, thanks you so much for that hair. I don't know why we weren't more popular. You had a 1991 (laughs) hairstyle, and I was still trying to tell people why the Genesis Invisible Touch album was truly like the high point of uh, pop music. (laughs) Yeah, it really is shocking, isn't it? Yeah. Are you ready for some categories? Yes. Okay. Michael Bolton. Could he sing this? Yes. And I agree. When would he explode? When he sings the choir part for the choir. Exactly. (laughs) Seriously? Is that what you have down? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When he says, my love will set you free, it just explodes. Yeah. Yeah. And a real mess on stage. Yeah. Be a horror show. Because Michael Bolton's love is enormous. All right. I want you to picture this. Imagine Luther Vandross did a version of this. Oh. How good would that be? Yes. The Quiet Storm. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, I mean, we know Michael Bolton would do this. We know what he would do to it. Yeah. But Luther Vandross would be super intriguing. And that's like a huge hero for Rick Astley's Luther. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I was watching the Arsenio Hall show and he's yeah. like, oh, I really like Luther Vandross. And Arsenio, this is actually a kind of funny moment. He goes, oh, okay. Well, come on out, Luther. Are you <laughs> just serious? Like, I'm just kidding. I'm just oh, kidding. No. <laughs> but we could go to his house. <laughs> but and then it was like classic Arsenio. It's like, yeah, we bring everybody over. I'm like, come on, Arsenio. Yeah. You were doing so well. Yeah. <laughs> so you should, you should uh, look him up, man, while well, you're here. Well, the thing is, I think uh, as well, I, I've got my idols, definitely. And, uh, you know, if, if I bump into them, if I meet them, then fine. But I'm not going to go knock on the door and pester them, you know what I mean? Oh, Luther you know. loves that, man. Oh, well. <laughs> give us, give us his Let's address. all go to Luther's house after we leave here. Yes. Hallmark movie. You got a Hallmark movie? No, but I never do. I kind of make them up on the spot. All right. Do you want to make one up or you want to hear mine? I'm going to hear yours, then I'll use that to gauge how mine's going to go. Big city corporate boss woman comes home to look after the affairs of her now deceased parent. I haven't decided if it's a mom or a dad because um, I have to think about where we're going to go with the plot. But I think dad, maybe. And then I have meets a local blank who helps her get in touch with her emotions. Now, I was wondering if it'd be a therapist, but I'm not thinking that's going to work. But I'm thinking either a local pastor or somebody with a lot of money, maybe a local doctor. 
because okay. I assume doctors have lots of money, <laughs> which isn't totally true. But I'm going to say, let's go with, meets a local family doctor mm-hmm. who helps her get in touch with her emotions. Who also lives on a farm. He do- Oh, he for sure lives on a farm. Kind of a hobby farm. That means yeah. he doesn't kill all the animals, yeah. which makes us feel better while just- we watch it. She meets him at a local barn dance, square dance, something like that. Yeah. She's cynical, right? She doesn't even want to be there. I don't even know why she showed up at that dance because she yeah. doesn't want to be there. She tried to walk away from this whole town. It was probably a childhood friend that made her go oh, to yeah, the yeah. dance. Maybe he was a childhood friend who she clashed with too. Oh, maybe. Okay, that sounds good. Anyways, he helps her get in touch with her emotions a bit, but then she's going to recoil and try to get out of the town. But she's going to come back. Okay. okay? And she's going to find her redemption during a rainstorm maybe on the farm maybe they'll like run towards a barn or something mm-hmm. to escape things and then like the lightning yeah the, the, the lightning that's right and then she finds her sort of release and her her uh she starts to cry for help and uh anyways she saves the town's blank so something's gonna happen <laughs> in the town she's gonna use her money in her business wiles. So even though we're going to cheer her on, we're going to think she's awesome when she uses her business bullying, her corporate style, yeah. to push out whatever the main mean character is. Yeah. And then at the end, they're going to get big married. Big oil or something. Yeah, yeah. Big oil who's going to come in there into their New Hampshire to drill for oil wherever they are. <laughs> Turns <laughs> out there's a lot of oil in New Hampshire. Exactly. At the end, they're going to get married. The final shot is both of them crying tears of joy. And then Rick Astley is actually marrying them. Yes, I was going to say with that. With the long hair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he's going to sing the song at the end. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I can come up with a better movie than that. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. That That's was a very so good. Long. Thank you. The, the one thing that I would change about it, instead of meeting at the dance, because he's a farmer, they meet at the farmer's market. Mm. Or has a hobby farm. Right. But he's not bringing an animal to the market, but no. like f- eggs. Eggs. Okay, the pig eggs. <laughs> pig eggs. <laughs> okay. People pay good money for pig eggs. They do. All right, I got some more categories for you, All right. Frank. Okay. Who has the best red hair as a male pop singer over the last 40 years? Oh, are you giving me some options? Yeah, I'm going to give you some options. And where Rick Astley ranks with this. Okay. So I think he beats all but one. Okay. Okay. So, uh, is it Dave Mustaine from Megadeth? Oh, that's a good call. Is he blonde or red? He's red. He's red. Okay. I also have Axl Rose. Oh, okay. I think he has red hair. Josh Holm, apparently, or Josh Hum from Queens of Stone Age has red hair. Oh, okay. He doesn't rank in there. No. Ed Sheeran. Okay. I don't think he has the red hair that Astley has because no. it doesn't look like he's destined to have that hair for long. No, exactly. But Rick Astley still has that hairline. Yeah. Incredible. And he's gone to a deeper red as he's gotten older. Well, that's what we do. Right. We either go blonde or deeper red. Right. And then there's Jim Cregan from the Bare Naked Ladies. <laughs> oh, that's but right. Yeah. Rick Astley beats that. Yeah. But there's one who is going to be difficult. Carrot Top? No. <laughs> I wasn't thinking Carrot Top. I was thinking Simply Red. The band? Yeah, the guy in Simply Red. He's got red hair, right? Does he? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, man. Okay, well, the, there goes that category. Yeah, that's why it's called Simply Red. He's got oh, red hair. That makes sense. And it's like a lot of hair. Oh, okay. Okay, well, never mind, Frank. I guess Rick Astley <laughs> wins that one. Wait, wait where does Carrot Top rank in all of this? He's below the guy from the Bare Naked Lake. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say so. Yeah. 
Next category. Have you heard any covers or remakes of this? No. Okay, so Rick Astley did a reimagined version of this. Oh, okay. What I noticed is his voice sounds a little bit different now. Mm-hmm. I feel he's kind of looked back on his old voice and moved in a different direction where I feel like he is doesn't want to sound as bassy. Okay. So I think it's a conscious decision. Oh, really? Okay. Because usually you go the opposite way. You, you take it down instead of yeah. going up. He was so low already. Yeah. And so his new version, the reimagined version, is fine, mm-hmm. but there's no gospel choir. Oh, uh, okay. But I mean, a lot of the current Rick Astley stuff is Rick Astley playing all the instruments. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's, it's good. There is uh, a couple covers. There's one notable one by a band called Amazonics and Michelle Siminal. I should really have done some research on it, but I'm going to play... On how to pronounce the name? Yeah, and also, she sounds familiar. I'm going to play a little bit of it for you right now. You want me to guess who she sounds like? No, I just want you to hear it. Okay. It's 18 minutes long. <laughs> That's just the intro. Convince me she's fine. Bad when she leaves me, I'm not sure. That's not bad. Yeah, I, I like it. That's pretty good. When she goes a fear to play. Why won't she say she needs me? I know she's not as strong as she seems. That's that's not bad. So I think it's recent. I think it might have been released this year or last year. Oh, really? And I'm pretty sure she's French. Okay. And it just sounds super pretty. Yeah. So there you go. There's uh, there's the covers. And now it's time to talk mixtape, Frank. And because you were known as little Ricky Astley, I think you should begin. <laughs> and because I've stolen a lot of your songs in the past. I think that's the opposite. I think I steal more songs from you. Okay, that's true. I was just trying to bait you. All right. So my mixtape is songs with a gospel influence. Oh, okay. So we're going to start off with Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Follow that up with Higher Love, Steve Winwood. Slow it down a little bit. Walking in Memphis, Mark Cohen. Very good. Shake It Out by Florence and the Machine. Very good. With a Little Help from My Friends by Joe Cocker. Oh, okay. Anything Can Happen, Ellie Golding. Yeah. And then close it all off with SOB by Nathaniel Ratliff and the Night Sweats. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, it had me thinking about Bruce Soderholm's mixtape that we ended up cutting out of our <laughs> Foreigner episode. And so he actually gave a full gospel choir That's right, mixtape. Yes. And yeah. so... I may or may not cut this because it's like six minutes long. Yeah. But I'm thinking of actually inserting inserting it right here. Oh, okay. So maybe maybe uh, we do this. So here's uh, our friend Bruce Soderholm's Gospel Choir mixtape. So you want to hear my uh, yeah, mixtape? Yeah, yeah, for okay. sure. 
disclaimer first, right? In terms of this mixtape, um, I wrote here that uh, much like the mountain that must be climbed, the following represents base camp and some of the initial climbs. Exploring the summit has to include names like Whitney, Aretha, and Mavis, to be fair. But um, I would start with uh, people get ready. Um, now, the impressions, Curtis Mayfield wrote this uh, in the 60s, but I like Eva Cassidy's cover version of this song uh, from Songbird. Uh, then I would move to Oh Happy Day uh, by the Edwin Hawkins Singers. And this was really the first gospel song that went mainstream and was hugely successful. And I thought it was kind of hilarious that it started off as a fundraiser for a church mission trip. <laughs> It must have made a lot of money, but interestingly, the church that, uh, you know, kind of sponsored it, disavowed its connection, thought, you know, really, radio airplay for a gospel song isn't appropriate. Uh, then I would move to Gone at Last, which is one of my favorite gospel feels, uh, Paul Simon's song, um, from the 76 album, I forget the name, but anyway, does a duet with Phoebe Snow, and it's absolutely amazing. Um, it is just the, the happiest, move your feet uh, kind of song that you could imagine. Uh, and from there, I would go to uh, Man in the Mirror, Michael Jackson, and uh, I think, you know, in deference to... Uh, Andre Crouch, who we mentioned earlier, he was the one who was coordinating the choir uh, on this particular track. Um, Walking in Memphis, Mark Cohen, I don't think we need much explanation for the Bill and Frank uh, Cognoscenti. Um, then I'd move to Church by Lyle Lovett. It has a kind of full-on gospel choir feel, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. And if you haven't heard it, there's a takeaway in the ending that you definitely would not expect. Uh, and then I would finish with, I still haven't found what I'm looking for by U2. Um, there is the Joshua Tree album, but I think to do true justice to this song, you have to hear the live version that's recorded in the concert film Rattle and Hum. Seven songs, seven is a perfect number. On to me. My mixtape is about people who hide their emotions. Oh, okay. And the singer is usually trying to draw it out of them. Okay. Good enough. Sarah McLaughlin. Okay. The Scientist by Coldplay. And you have a love difficult hate. relationship yeah, with Coldplay. I do. I do. I like the song and I love that album, but what it brought to the world, it's kind of like, I don't want to say it's like Oppenheimer. <laughs> But it did really transform things, especially in the church music scene. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the church music scene, the next song is by The Fray, How to Save a Life. Oh. Next is one of your personal favorite artists who actually uh, kind of hail from St. Catharines, our hometown, because the lead singer went to Ridley College, the uh, private school in our area. Clumsy by Our Lady Peace. Yeah, that's not one of my favorite artists. That's a filthy, filthy lie. <laughs> it is. All right. Next up, Cry by Faith Hill. Oh, nice. What a song. Yeah. And then, as kind of a bonus, one of the artists I'd love to feature on our podcast, the original sort of true Canadian band of our time, I feel, 
Mm-hmm. Bass is bass. Oh yeah, I cry. Oh, such a good song. Such a good song. That's a great such a tune. Great, yeah, such a great sort of band in terms of they only did one album, but yeah. they are fascinating. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So there is my. That's a good mixtape. Yeah, with the exception of Our Lady Peace, but you know, I can forgive that. We hope you've enjoyed our walk through Rick Astley's Cry for Help. And we were kind of wondering if this was a song that resonated with people. But I feel that there are a group of you who totally get this and who know this song and have kind of found that it resonated with you. Absolutely. And if you're ever wandering around the streets of your town trying to make sense of it all, you can always find it on Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures. On a side note here, when I told Alicia that I asked her questions and I said I was going to quote her, I said, can I also speak for Frank? And she said, okay. So I said, okay, you said that crying regulates the body, but how do men regulate their bodies? (laughs) 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 And she just stared at me as though it was such a juvenile and stupid thing to say. And I just want to say, I can't believe you said that to her, Frank. So (laughs) immature. And I know I would never say that. Well done. I tried so hard to stop laughing while I was saying it. When I I realized no one around, neither her 12-year-old daughter, herself, or Ashley thought it was funny. Yeah. And Elijah wasn't even paying attention. Do you know that in the original version, it also included... Why can't I taste her cry for help? Why can't I smell her (laughs) cry for help? Come on. Stop. No. No. No, it wasn't. Can we be serious for a second, please, Bill? Yeah. Yeah. Could you please refill my beer?